0: Ladies and gentlemen, Nick
1: Redfern. Yeah. Hi Nick. Hi,
2: Nick. you
3: hey, guys.
2: Welcome.
1: Going? Good. How are you? Good. How's
2: it going? Good. Uh, good. Other than well, as you know, certain technical issues. <laughs> which, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what what's going on, but um, the um, my laptop, uh, the the camera stopped working, and the audio is not working, and then. Uh, I had to put a fan underneath. It was starting to get warm, and um, which none of that's a good sign, you know. So um,
1: <laughs> right, <laughs> it's on its <laughs> last uh, legs. I
2: think it means at some point uh, in the very near. Uh, I'll need to get another one mm-hmm.
3: oh, no. but I mean I view this as the um,
1: opportunity for new tech so I'm all about
3: that I guess so. I love yeah. new tech I'll try and look at it from the, from the positive perspective yes. I guess new tech, new tech, new tech. Oh. I can no, send you records
2: um, get me now
1: Oh, mm-hmm. what's that? You're
2: able to get me on the. Sh- I mean, you're able to get me on
3: the show. We're not just talking to each other, right?
2: <laughs> no,
1: you're no, live. All the, fan- the all the fans, all the fans are just live. like squealing.
2: Nick, Nick, Nick! Right now in the chat.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
4: and, and Nick, my name's June. I uh, I haven't uh, virtually met you before, so I just thought I'd introduce myself. So oh, okay, well, I think the last time I was traveling around when we when we could still travel. Yes. Mm. Hmm it's like, welcome back.
3: Well,
0: thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it, Jake. I mean, you are are the aficionado.
1: I (laughs) am. And this is one of my favorite subjects. So if you hadn't heard, we're a little early. (laughs) I don't care.
3: Uh, (laughs)
1: Nick has a new (laughs) book coming out on August 4th. It's from Visible Ink Press. And it's all about one of my favorite monster subjects, Monsters of the Deep, about... Sea serpents, sea creatures, ocean monsters, killer fish, all that fun stuff. And so with Nick, my question for you is, how did the concept come up? How did the idea uh, for this to be your next book?
3: Well,
2: um, the subject of like uh, lake monsters and sea serpents and things like that has um, fascinated me for a long time. Um so I've always had an interest in it. So, you know, it was kind of inevitable that I'd end up doing a few books on that subject. And um, my interest in, in things like Lake Monsters go back to when I was a kid. And um, when I was about five, my mum and dad took me on um, a week's vacation to Scotland. And, of course, if you're going to go to Scotland, you've got to go to Loch Ness. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that's what we did. And um, and I still have a few um, fragments of memories of my dad and me standing by the shore and him telling me the story of these strange monsters living deep in the Loch. and you know Loch Ness is a sort of a atmospheric creepy place it's about 22 miles uh long and about 800 feet deep and um you know the the landscape is very sort of dark and forested wooded and uh, so it's very and it's got it's surrounded by all these old crumbling castles so it's it's kind of a very atmospheric place anyway regardless of the Loch Ness monsters Mm -hmm. and uh, when my dad told me that story it really kind of um fired up my imagination as I got um a little bit older 10 11 I started reading books like Rad Steiger and mm. um, people like that, and um, and reading things about you know Algo Pogo and Champ and all these other weird lake monsters. And so uh, I've done a couple of books on this subject. One specifically just on the Loch Ness monster, but um, Monsters of the Deep, which as you said, would be out in a couple of months. Um, it's basically uh, like a study um, of. Like monster sea serpents, giant squid, giant octopuses, and anything that's weird in the, in the water,
3: hopefully I've got it in the books.
1: So. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I was reading and it said over 100 profiles, and I'm like, this is like Dungeons and Dragons monster manual for sea creatures. So I'm like frothing, you know, at the mouth, <laughs> waiting to get some of this stuff. I, so, so I guess we could step back here. So let's, let's do some additional plugging. Okay. So you had a book on Nessie which came yeah. out, it got updated in 2018, but I think it came out a bit before that. And you really went into depth about the history, the dark history, the strange phenomena that happens around the Loch. So besides the Loch Ness Monster, which we know, what are some of the other creatures, phantoms? You even have an alien connection in there.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, the, the Nessie book is a bit different to most other Nessie books. Mm-hmm. Um you know, if you look, if you look at most of the books, they sort of go with the theories that they're plesiosaurs, that mm-hmm. um, the plesiosaur uh, was a marine reptile that lived alongside the, the same time as the dinosaurs. Or that they weren't actually uh, dinosaurs; they were uh, marine reptiles, which are actually quite different. I won't bore you with all the science behind <laughs> it. Oh no, but, go for um, the science. Yeah, go and for the science. Um, <laughs> and so a lot of people, you know, have written books said, "Oh, we think the plesiosaurs or they could be giant eels." But what I found doing a lot of research over the years is that there's a lot of weird paranormal stuff surrounding Loch Ness. For example, the famous uh, cultist Alistair Crowley Mm -hmm. had a house on the shores of Loch Ness called Boleskine House um, where he performed all sorts of rituals and rites to try and summon up supernatural creatures. And this was only not too long before people started to see these creatures uh, more than they ever had. Mm -hmm. And... um, there have been sightings of UFOs at the, uh, at the lock and men in black and all sorts of weird stuff. So I decided with my Nessie book, uh, which goes by the stunningly original name of Nessie. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um,
2: I thought I would go with the, the more of like the, um, the paranormal side and look at the supernatural aspects and, and also look at the supernatural theories for what these creatures could be do ra- uh, rather than being, um, you know something that survived from the Jurassic era, and um, you know when you're sort of bringing um, issues like paranormal phenomena in, into the issue of Nessie, of course, you know some people are going to think, "Wow, that's cool," and other people are going to think, "You know, Nick's gone completely mad or whatever." <laughs> and, uh, but, but, but uh, as I said, there are a lot of genuinely really weird stuff where people have tried to photograph these things. And very often, for some reason, the cameras jam and they mm-hmm. get sort of mechanical and electronic problems. Um, so there's a lot to this, I think, you know, the idea that they could be more than just unknown animals. So that one came out in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the rights came back to me two years later. So um, I put it out with another company, Lisa Hagen uh, mm-hmm. Books, and um, and also updated that book and put a bunch more uh, photographs in it as well and, and artwork, and um, and you know it was received quite well for people who you know in the field of crypt- cryptozoology and um, and then I thought well instead of just doing another book on just another monster, why not sort of look <coughs> at all the different types of. Um, ocean and water-based, and you know, river monsters, and, mm-hmm. and and try and do like um, you know, a definitive study of just about anything that's weird and uh, you know, Ooh. and lived in mm-hmm. the waters.
1: Yeah, we're still there. Yeah, yeah, I am.
0: Okay, <laughs> okay. all right. Sorry, it got so quiet then. <laughs>
1: I didn't yeah, know what so it exactly. I, I think everyone around the world has experienced this, especially because we're in prime time, mm-hmm. everyone's streaming, which hits bandwidth. So sometimes, I don't know if there's a glitch where we cut out for a moment.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah,
1: mm-hmm. or not. But in that regard, Nick, so with monsters of the deep, I know, so I, I'm a big fan. So I have the monsters book. <laughs> which came out in 2017 oh. also by Visible Ink Press. <laughs> and you had 38 creature profiles in that one. When it comes to sea and lake monsters, did you expand on another like grouping like river monsters or lake monsters versus in in monsters of the deep versus monsters the monster book? Well,
2: um in in that book, in the monster book, there were kind of like entries, you know, sort of mm-hmm. like two or three pages. Yeah. Uh the big difference with um The Monsters of the Deep is it's chapter based.
3: Oh. nice. You know, the,
2: um, the, the monster book was almost like an A to Z, you know, mm-hmm. like um um N for Nessie and O for Ogo pogo. Yeah. That's how that book <laughs> was or B for yeah. Bigfoot, you yeah. know. But this one is, goes by subjects. So there's there's like one chapter on giant squids, there's there's a chapter on Nessie, um a, a chapter on Algo Pogo, um, a chapter on giant octopus and um, and sightings by um, sailors. So there's a chapter on that, and um, and then going back even further with like there's a chapter, for example, on the Kraken. Yes. And also there's um, the story of Jonah and the whale. I've even gone oh, yeah. that far back, you know, because if you read that story, you know that that doesn't sound like a whale you know but it sounds like it sounds like something really weird and and monstrous um so i go right back you know to the to the early days and um and up to the present day but as i said it's it's chapter based and and theme based rather mm-hmm. than just um you know doing it like the other one i think you can people can approach it both ways um you know, I think um, the A to Z style's good because, you know, you can just dip in wherever you want to. You haven't got to go <laughs> from page one to 300 or whatever. And with the new one, you know, you're not forced to read the chapters in chronological order. You know, if you see the contents and it, you want to go straight to the Nessie chapter, it's not going to affect you. You know, I've been jumping back five chapters on something else or whatever.
1: So. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then go ahead, Wendy.
0: Oh, I was just gonna uh, ask Nick if I was watching a, that Sci Science Channel um, deal, uh, whatever it was. But the uh, back in two thousand and five, they found that uh, the shark that had they had tagged and they named her Alpha, and something had eaten her and her tag, and they went through and systematically. Uh, uh, ruled out what it might have been like it wasn't another uh big great white shark it was because the temperature was wrong for the digestion and then it wasn't a any an, an orca attack and I don't remember exactly why that one was oh it was uh she was taken twice the depth of the um deepest known orca pod to have died oh. and then it wasn't a giant squid because okay I don't remember exactly why that one was either but they decided it was let me grab my
1: I was gonna say with <laughs> like with a squid
3: mm-hmm. and the way
1: that it eats it would have a different like you would in the flesh of what's left over of the shark oh. it wouldn't match the beak or the serration on no, the suction no. cups.
0: That wasn't it actually um it's the squid has a very narrow tube right behind its is brain like, that all mm-hmm. of the food has to go through and the tag was too big to go through oh. that that ring or tube or whatever it is and then we had the eyewitnesses of um this great unknown 150 foot long creature uh sighted like all the way back in 1918 but they call it lord of the deep i was just curious if you had had found that story and in, in a uh, maybe included it
2: yeah that's that's quite a, an interesting story and it did mm-hmm. actually get um back when the story first surfaced um it didn't just sort of attract people in the cryptozoology monster hunting field but mainstream media covered it as well
3: mm-hmm. and
2: wow. one of the theories was put that was put forward was that possibly it was a surviving one of Obviously, there have to be more of them, you know, there couldn't just be one. But the one of the theories was that it could have been a surviving relic, again, from the Jurassic period mm-hmm. uh, of, a cre- okay. of a creature called Megalodon.
4: Megalodon, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: And Megalodon was a genuine, real, uh, very ancient, primitive shark. But if you imagine something that broadly looks wow. like, like the great white shark in Jaws, imagine something like that. But about 75 feet long. Oh,
3: <laughs> Oof! I that, can
4: that even was, imagine. That's what
2: Megalodon was, you know, I mean, Megalodon oh. would probably take on Godzilla and win. You know,
3: <laughs> 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 kaiju versus dinosaur. <laughs> that would be awesome.
2: <laughs> so, um, but yeah, the, the Megalodon was like the the kind of apex predator of that period and um and you know when this particular story broke about a, a great white shark having been sort of attacked and half eaten you know there's not many uh, animals in the fish excuse me any there aren't many animals in the oceans that would take on um you know a great white shark but no. something did and um and there have been reports particularly off the coastal areas and slightly further out, uh, in and around Australia. That's where more than a few of these megalodon um, sightings have been made of these gigantic wow. sharks. Wow. So, you know, I mean, if you, if you consider how much of the world is actually water versus <laughs> land, you know, the water dominates the land. And, I mean, there are you know the, some of the oceans that the water is so deep that we just don't really have the technology mm-hmm. to, you know, to go to the very the ultimate, you know, deep level. So, it's not at all impossible that creatures that, you know, lived in and still live in the lower areas, the oceans, could stay there, you know, quite happily, um, regardless of the fact that they're of a fantastic size, you know.
4: Wow. I can't even imagine that. (laughs) And, of course, it would be around Australia, where everything else is (laughs) dangerous and...
2: (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, they have a big enough um, shark uh, population anyway, you know, there's always people getting attacked by, you know, sharks and losing a limb here and there, but uh, that's what happens when you get in the ocean, I guess, in cool places.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, I just, um, I had just traveled overseas, and speaking of shark attacks, They've been finding off the coast of Mauritius and Ray Union, which would be in the French, I mean, would be in the Indian Ocean. They've had an excessively high amount, more so than Western Australia, of shark attacks. Um, Now, -hmm. they don't have great whites there. It's coming from bull sharks and nurse, I think even nurse sharks have done it, though nurse sharks aren't known to be as aggressive. But overall, we're starting to see sharks coming closer to mankind. Is it really just an overfishing thing? Is it ocean currents? What is drawing these sharks towards humans?
2: Well, I mean, it's hard to say for sure, but I mean, you know, animals are are very clever. You know, mm-hmm. we often mm-hmm. underestimate, um, you know, animals. But um, I think, you know, one of the possibilities is that, I mean... Um, you know, an animal that is a predator will actually very quickly realize where the food is, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there could be that aspect to it that, um, you know, it doesn't take a, a large intelligent animal to know where to go every day, you know, and um, and follow the, you know, the, the chase, so to speak. So uh, I think that has a, a great deal to it. And um, you know, it's hard to, it's really sort of pinpoint, you know, what that issue is. But um, but I, I think a lot of it is just, you know, that they know where to go and when they know for sure, you know, they'll they'll stay in one particular area and um, makes it easier for them. You know.
0: Sure. You almost have to wonder if the rising. Uh uh, the the melting ice caps and the rising water levels are having any effect in that as well.
2: Well, yeah, I mean that is a good point because I mean you know certain um, water based um, animals, you know they they require uh, warmer temperatures. Others prefer you know, colder temperatures. And you know when we talk, it's interesting because you know when we talk about global warming and things like this. Um, you know, we're sort of losing the ice, but what Mm -hmm. also happens, you know, you've got animals that live in hot climates, and when you've got massive icebergs and, you know, the temperature lowing, well, -hmm. that has a direct effect on them, you know, that the temperature's going up, but they, you know, they're not sort of um, used to the massive amounts of ice, you know, sort Mm -hmm. of melting in their area, and suddenly they've got like a plummet in the, those particular parts of the, of the planet. You know, um, they're expecting it to stay warm and hot. So, you know, um, global warming doesn't just have an effect on, you know, on the planet itself, but um, it also has a major effect on, you know, what lives on land and in the water. I mean, penguins, polar bears, they've all been affected, you know, yeah. by the... The effects that, um, you know, with the, the polar areas mm-hmm. and, um, you know, and, and we're seeing problems there as well. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's sort of down to us, you know, The yeah. uh, with, you know, with the most um, large, well, it's like you, we are the most intelligent species on the planet, but unfortunately we're the most destructive species as well, you know, so. yeah.
1: I, I, now, when it comes to talking about the shift in the Antarctic, I thought this was really interesting. I saw this on a news report the other day. A pod of penguins, who are southern hemisphere, have now taken nest in Iceland.
3: Mm. That's wild. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah,
2: I, mean, I, I, I didn't see that story, actually. But, I mean, again, it demonstrates, you know, the the ability of nature to to adapt,
3: mm-hmm. you know.
2: And um, in the same way, we have to. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, as we are right now, you know, all sitting at home looking out the window. Um, <laughs> That's true. But it's either adapt or go crazy, you know.
3: Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, as I said, I didn't see the penguin story, unfortunately. But, no, um, I'll drop
1: in the chat. But,
2: okay, cool. But um, but animals are actually really good, you know, a ad- adapting to you know new climates, new locations and um and nature does that you know yeah. nature's very good i mean um if for example, if you look at um <coughs> excuse me um you know places where there was once people and um and then there aren't any people there now, you know um nature quickly takes over you know you see the Plants and weeds coming through the concrete, you know, and you mm. can easily see how you look like, for example, Chernobyl. Yeah, that's You know, when there I was a the disaster in, in Russia and Chernobyl. If you look at footage and photographs of Chernobyl now, you know, it kind of looks like something out the Walking Dead, you know, with <laughs> vines and <It> trees <laughs> bursting through all the old buildings. And um, and it doesn't take long for um, nature to, to reclaim things. And if, you know, um, if. I mean, hopefully, you know, what we're dealing with now um, let's all hope, you know, it doesn't last much longer, but who knows Um, but what I would say, you know, in a really worse scenario, you know, if there was something that wiped out the human race you know, the the other animals that are left, which would be a huge amount, they would quickly adapt you know, the and um, from 20, 30, 50, 100 years the planet would be a radically different place you know uh-huh. it would be it would be ruled by animals you know and
4: um there's planet of the apes well i mean that's what's fascinating anyway with everybody staying indoors especially in italy and italy the canals yeah. um and you see dolphins in the canals again and the water is yeah. clear it's, it is pretty amazing i have to say but yeah but yeah Actually, i was thinking planet um, of the
2: apes yeah, I saw um, an article the other day about Yosemite Park and how quickly things are starting to change there. Mm-hmm. And for example, now it, Yosemite Park has the largest number of bears um,
3: mm-hmm. that
2: it's that it's ever had, and uh, and this is just in like a few months of people not um, you know being around there anymore because right. they're all at home, and the the bear population you know. Bears that sort of live maybe outside of the park, but in areas where that's um, suitable for them, they're all now moving into the park itself. You know, it's far more denser. And for a bunch of other animals as well, they're all moving in. And um, because there's no one to, um, you know, park rangers or nothing like that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so um, again, you know, you could apply that to. you know, sort of water-based monsters and creatures as well. Right. Um, survival for them, you know, is like the, the prime thing. I mean, you know, we kind of have it easy, really. We just go to Walmart or whatever to get your food. For animals, you know, every day is a struggle and a fight
3: right. to,
2: to stay alive, you know. And um, and so they have a like a, a better approach than we do you know we kind of blunder around in disasters and whatever and but they you know that they are very very quick and adept at um doing what they've got to do you know
3: Mm
4: hmm yeah you should see the rats in downtown seattle in the old part of uh, seattle washington the rats have just taken over again in broad daylight (laughs) they're having little rat parties it's it's crazy. There's because there's no people, you know, mm-hmm. that are out in the streets hardly. So yeah, it's it's amazing. June <laughs> made them. a video you know, of it. it yeah, was, I had, had to make know, a video um, of it.
2: <laughs> rats, actually, make good friend, uh, good pet. You know, they're they're very intelligent rats. So people think they're like these dangerous, greasy. No, they're things,
4: very they're sweet when they're clean. Yeah, they and not, when they're clean and they're not living in a a sewer. <laughs>
3: You, and you know rabid, what, you know, you know actually whatever.
2: one of the most you know what is one of the most um cleanly um animals of all cockroaches yeah oh. you know, cockroaches <laughs> are incredibly um, like almost like obsessed with um,
3: with <laughs> cleanliness, cleanliness? you would okay. think so
2: because they eat out of like garbage cans or whatever you know but <laughs> as for themselves they are you know they're they're very intelligent you know in terms of um you know, colonies, things like that, and um, but yeah, they uh, they they're sort of known for for cleanliness.
0: Yeah, yeah we're all cringing. Um, <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh. um now, okay, a uh, quick shift. Um, when you were in Puerto Rico uh, mm-hmm. chasing down vampires the chupacabra <laughs> um yeah goat-sucking vampires i that's a uh, vet uh buffy the vampire slayer would be very happy yeah. to run yes. across those i think <laughs> that would be awesome <laughs> now were there any um water uh uh creatures associated with that area the caribbean i guess and and okay. there
2: well, yeah, I mean the the whole area is interesting. I've been on uh, many expeditions to Puerto Rico looking for the uh, the chupacabra. The first time I went was um, 2004, and the last the latest time was just uh, a couple of years ago. And um, Puerto Rico is a really cool place. Um, you've got the Old city of San Juan, which goes back centuries, you know, when the pirates right. were sort of roaming around there, and oh, um, and you've got the, the the modern day San Juan as well, and you've got this gigantic rainforest called the El Yunque rainforest, and that it's within and around and around the rainforest that um, people from 1995 onward started seeing the. Uh- been about the size and build of a of a full grown chimpanzee. So it was about sort of four and a half, five feet tall, very muscular and fast running. And um, but its skin was sort of like a greenish with mottles of brown. Mm-hmm. And it had reportedly had like a row of spikes down its um, head and neck, kind of like a like a punk rock mohawk oh, kind God. of thing. <laughs> and, okay.
3: Um, <laughs> Super cool.
2: And um, it was described it, it became known as the the goat sucker because the the Latin American term for goat sucker was chupacabra. So that's that's where the name oh. came from. And it got the name because a lot of ranchers who said their animals had been attacked um by whatever this creature was, they said that significant amounts of blood had been removed from the bodies of, like for example, goats, chickens, etc., and um, and that's where the sort of blood-sucking vampire part of the legend began. And um, I've spoken to a lot of people on different you know different ranges, like ranchers, um, veterinarians, police officers, um, local people in the villages and the towns, and you know I've been able to put together what for me is uh, a you know, we're looking, I think, at a genuine animal of unknown origins. Mm -hmm. Um, And the theories that have been put forward um, kind of vary. Some people think they're some sort of unknown kind of a reptilian-type animal, um, kind of something along the lines of like a a sort of shrunken-down version of like a velociraptor, something like that. Mm -hmm. um other people think which this is an interesting theory some people think they could be giant bats um now we have giant bats anyway but you know we're talking about something within a wingspan because a a lot of the reports talk about them having wings in puerto rico and um some of the people have talked about seeing these bat-like creatures but with a body about five feet high and wingspans Mm -hmm. of like 15 feet which you know you wouldn't want to mess with something like that no (laughs) Um, so you know there are a lot of different theories and then you've got the sort of the occult supernatural angle where a lot of people on the island think it's more like a devilish type creature rather than an unknown flesh and blood animal but um but it's fascinating you know how the when he all kicked off in 1995, how the whole thing took hold and the chupacabra as a phenomenon, um, really, you know, sort of overwhelmed, uh, Puerto Rico in many respects, you know, there's a lot of hysteria and panic and, um, you know, people, uh, bringing the kids in at, early at night, you know, in case the chupacabra comes around and, and it really, you know, it did become sort of like a phenomenon and, um, but going to the island, as I said, and speaking to the you know the the locals and the the eyewitnesses is really the best way. And um, you know, I find that when you sort of sat opposite someone, you you get a you be quickly become like a good judge of character. And um, and from all the people I've spoken to, you know, I, I I think there is a a real creature. But what it actually is. I don't know, but um, we're still looking. But, you know, we had this sort of second type of uh, Chupacabra that surfaced round about um, round about t- 2003, 2004, uh, particularly in Texas. And it became known as the Texas Chupacabra, which is basically like a hairless, dog-like animal. Mm. Um, but... It's very different to the creature on Puerto Rico, but both of them have been given the name chupacabra. So it gets kind of uh, kind of puzzling sometimes for people, you know, when they mm-hmm. say, "Well, hang on, that one's got spikes and wings, and this one looks like a hairless dog." But but that's that's the that is the sort of puzzling bit about it and controversial bit that's, that there are now two chupacabras by name but they have nothing to do with each other
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, did anything come uh, of the DNA tests on the chicken feathers that your friend had
3: oh well
2: yeah that's uh, an interesting part of the story Um, I did a show with a friend of mine John Downs John runs a, a full time group in the UK the CFZ it's the center for 40 in zoology And Fortean um, is named after Charles Fort, who was a guy who created weird mysteries about a century ago. So anything that is Fortean means it's kind of like born out of Charles Fort's research. And uh, so John runs the the, uh, Center for Fortean Zoology. And in 2004, we went out to Puerto Rico uh, with a team from the Sci-Fi Channel. And um, it was for a show called Proof Positive. And I'm not sure if you can still find the episodes online, but it was that they were online, like on YouTube for a while. Um, they've probably been taken down for that reason. <laughs> but um, um, And we went out there for about eight, nine days, something like that. That was my first time there and John's second time. And um, Proof Positive was kind of like a cross between... I guess something like the X-Files meets CSI because they wanted like forensic evidence that could be analyzed. And when John went there the first time, he uh, examined a chicken that had allegedly been killed by a a chupacabra. And the owner gave John some um, feathers as a as a sort of uh, a going-away present, if you like, kind of a strange one. But um, <laughs> and so the the sci-fi channel was quite exi- excited by the possibility that there could have been chupacabra saliva on these feathers, and they, you know, and if they came up as a regular animal, or if it just came up as something that, you know, wasn't currently classified. Um, then you know we might something have something important unfortunately, uh when John went to uh, the Puerto Rico for the first time, it was nineteen ninety eight and when we went, it was two thousand and four, so it was six years and unfortunately the all the d- the DNA that was on there, even the the chicken uh, DNA itself had sort of degraded oh, So no. we didn't get any yeah we didn't get any definitive. Answers, but again, we did speak to a lot of people who'd seen these um, creatures. Uh, interestingly enough, one woman, a lady named Norca, who we interviewed, she had had an encounter, um, but this was back in 1975, twenty years before the chupacabra was actually acknowledged as as being around. But if you look back into the old newspapers from Puerto Rico from the 70s. Um, you can find stories of what sound actually very much like the chupacabra, but which didn't st- actually surface till 1995. So what I think is that it's actually an old phenomenon, but these animals skillfully were able to hide out until 1995 until they were they were seen. Um, So, you know, I think that's an important thing to note. You know, people say, well, how come it just popped up out of nowhere? And I I always say, well, if you actually go back and you speak to the people and look in the old newspapers, you'll see that there was reports of animals being attacked and killed and drained of blood going back um, for for years and decades. For example, if you look for Mocha Vampire, M-O-C-A, on, uh, on on Google and just do a search on it, you'll see that the Mocha Vampire was something very much like the Chupacabra back mm-hmm. in the 70s but just with a different name. So, um, you know, I think they could actually have been on Puerto Rico hiding out in stealth for a very, very long time but nobody really realised until 1995.
0: Interesting. Like, yeah, almost have to wonder if they've survived all of the uh, hurricanes and earthquakes down there now.
2: Well, I mean, it's not impossible. i tell mm-hmm. you the why, because one of the intriguing theories as to why we haven't caught any yet is because they live in the caverns and caves on Puerto Rico. Now, I didn't realize until the first time I went to Puerto Rico how extensive some of the cave systems are, on puerto rico i mean they're huge and even the the government itself and the wildlife people on puerto rico admit that some of those cave systems are actually so deep and difficult to get into that they actually no one has ever gone down some of them so one of the theories is that they hide out in the caves during the day um in the higher levels of the El alyonki rainforest and then at night they come down to hunt to the lower levels where the farms are and then
3: mm-hmm.
2: and then at night and then you know when they're finished they go back into the caves and um and we went in some of these caves as well and i mean they some of the quite big openings but then the further you go in there's sort of these offshoots as well and uh, i managed to squeeze through one of them for about 50 feet and then it just it just became impossible and i had to kind of like awkwardly turn around <laughs> and um mm-hmm. and crawl back out again and um and i mean if you look at the ceilings as well it kind of looks like the ceilings moving but what it actually is there's like literally like thousands of bats just sort of clinging on the ceiling and uh Ooh, and, man. Um, yeah one of the yeah. guides said to us he said uh, don't, don't kind of look up too often because some of those bats have got rabies and the last thing you want is, you know, he's, they'll be staring up with your mouth wide open and then you get a bit of bat saliva in your mouth, oh, you know. My.
3: It would be uh, like the,
2: word, you know, kind of like, you'd end up like Ozzy Osbourne, you know, when he bit the yeah. uh, head <laughs> off a bat, you know. It'd be kind of being the equivalent of that. And uh, I didn't really want to go through that. So. No,
0: <laughs> I understand. No, we need that. <laughs> Kind of makes being uh, the phrase "being batshit crazy" takes it to a whole <laughs> yeah, new <exactly>. level. Whole new level. Oh my gosh! But that's guys uh, listening, everybody. That's from the Chupacabra Road Trip, which is one of Nick's books, and it's it's a wonderful read. Um, I really highly recommend it. I haven't quite finished, but I'm almost there, and then I will go leave reviews and things
2: well i'll tell you how it
3: ends
2: (laughs) 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 yeah it's it's called Chopper a road trip because it's sort of written in a road trip style you know i always think you know you can write two in one of two ways one is just to write the facts of the data and the other one is to do it from like a diary perspective you know where the reader can follow you sort of on the adventure and um and because this was all expedition-based uh, between four and 2016, thereabouts, 2017, um, and that kind of lended itself to, um, you know, writing it from the perspective, you know, it was a, it was a dark and stormy night and I right.
3: <laughs> headed
2: out into the jungle, you know. But that's how I, I kind of wrote that book because it was more, as I said, it lended itself more to doing it that way mm-hmm. rather than writing it just as... Um, just the data you know
0: right a manual almost yeah no i agree it it was uh it it really brings you in and and you're kind of there you know even the disappointment of finding out that a ranch in puerto rico is quite a bit different than a ranch in uh
3: yeah
2: yeah Yeah, that's one of the you know one of the things i found on puerto rico you know that um the sort of very varying degrees of Of levels of life you know you have a lot of the people unfortunately you know it's uh, they're very poor areas and their their farms are literally their backyards you know and struggling um you know to make a living um and then in the hills you've got you know it's kind of almost like going in the hills of hollywood you know with sort of huge houses on on the slopes and things like that and so um but it, it's a really cool place, you know. All the people are very friendly and the food's really good, you know. And um, and it's got, like, a really, really nice, cool vibe to it. And uh, as I said, it's um, Old San Juan. I mean, it is kind of, um, you know, somebody dropped you in the middle of Old San Juan, you would think you'd sort of time-traveled to, like, Pirates of the Caribbean, you know. <laughs> yes, the, yes. That's exactly. what it looks like. You could imagine the old galleons, you know, coming up to the shore and... Um, you know with the skull and crossbones of the ships and um, <laughs> because a lot of the old buildings um literally go back you know 300 years thereabouts when mm-hmm. when the pirates really were there you know and mm-hmm. um and that hasn't been changed and that you know it's a good thing i think it's good that they've you know hung on to the um you know the old um
3: the way history of ordering, and yeah you mm-hmm. used
2: to look you know
0: Oh, I I visited the one uh, fort there and, and Old San Juan itself and that was just it was so neat so much fun mm-hmm.
2: yeah
0: yeah it is and hot it was really <laughs> hot
2: yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah
2: that is one of the things you do need a lot of water and uh, mm-hmm. particularly when you're sort of stomping through the rainforest at you know the high, two in the afternoon and you know, <laughs> the
0: that, that's you why know. they have siestas
2: yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, the people who live there, I mean, they've grown up with it. I remember saying to one of the guys, I said, what's 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 the temperature? And he's like, oh, it's only 112. I was like, oh, my oh. God.
4: <laughs> and with probably 90% humidity, too. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
2: Uh. You know, uh, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I, I, I thought at one point, you know, I'm going to be... I'm not going to, I'm going to leave to see the end of the week, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're going to have to get a stand in for me or
3: something. But... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh my
4: gosh.
3: You become a
0: Texas snowman, which is just a puddle in a pair of boots. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. ah. Well, Jake, you want to take it back?
1: Well, I do have a question from the audience. And it's in regards to *In Search of Monsters*, which Nick, you were an expert uh, on that series. It was from Travel Channel. And the question is, will it be back? I haven't they I haven't yeah. seen any news about it?
2: No, um, I don't think it will be. I would like it to be. I mean, that um, for people who may not have seen it, uh, it was on the Travel Channel. And it ran for about 12 episodes i think or 10 11 something like that and there's one on bigfoot one on the yeti chupacabra um know. large cats um and the wendigo you know, the list went on the wendigo uh-huh. that's right yeah. that was
1: my favorite now, you episode. know
2: it better than me <laughs> 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 and um and, and it was a good show um you know it was um there was some um like in the studio uh, sort of speak talking head kind of stuff and then they had sort of um, special effects and recreations of sightings and things like that. So, you know, it covered um, all the different areas and the different theories for what these things might be. But, um, but whether it will come back, I don't know. I mean, it'd be cool if it did. Um, but, you know, sometimes you'll find a show, you know, will Oops. pop up for one season or two. And then, you know, the, the production company just... Then goes on to a cooking show or something
1: else, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> cooking with chupacabra. That's gonna be...
4: <laughs> That would be an interesting Let me show, show you my Pollo
1: recipe. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then what other do you have are you um lined up for any other say T V shows or other media appearances anytime soon?
2: Um well I mean, I do a lot of TV. I probably do about, usually about seven or eight episodes of varying shows. I don't mean seven or eight of all the different shows, but like sort of seven or eight Mm -hmm. episodes collectively, you know, throughout the year. But I mean, the way things are now, you know, production companies really aren't doing much at all. But, um, But I did, the most recent one that I was on and that I did was Ancient Aliens on, it was the episode called The Real Men in Black. And that, um that was filmed I think last October and it was, and it was broadcast about two months ago. And I think, I think that one, uh, because it's, it's relatively recent. Um, I think you can go to the history channels website and you can find it on there. And I think you can download yep. that episode. And, um, as I said, it's called the, the real men in black. And, um, that's one of my other big interests is the, the the men in black mystery and, yes. um, and so they uh, they put that episode together, and um, and there's quite a bit where I'm talking about um, the origins of the Men in Black mystery, and um, you know the different theories for who they are. And um, but as I said, I, I'm pretty sure it, that episode is still somewhere on uh, on the History Channel's yeah, website.
1: Mm-hmm. I dropped the I link. I was gonna
4: say, I think yeah. it's I think it's on Netflix too, isn't
1: it? Yeah, and you oh, can
4: isn't it on Netflix. Yeah. yeah,
1: and you can stream it through your cable right. provider too. I've, yes. yeah.
0: I got right. Yeah, too. it's on demand.
3: Yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, good. Uh, the
1: mm-hmm. one subject we didn't cover with Monsters of the Deep, and I want to get this in just in case we switch sub- subjects, is in the the summary, the footnotes, it talks about mutant fish, you no, know, some kind mm-hmm. of genetic chimeras by pollution, and I'm totally fascinated by this.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, environment, pollu- uh, me, environmental uh, pollution, you know, is is an issue that um, affects all of us, really, you know, or it can yeah. do at least. And a lot of it's called scurvy uh, caused by what are called mutagens. Now, pollu- a lot of pollutants um, uh, basically give off what are called mutagens, and basically. Um mutagen, for example, uh, one of the most destructive is um, sulphur dioxide, and this is used um, in variety of industries, particularly coal burning. And if you get uh, this particular mutagen in in your body, in a worse scenario is if it's like a pregnant woman because it can literally get into the the DNA. Of a, of a a developing baby or a de- developing animal and can cause all sorts of terrible genetic mm-hmm. alterations sort of on a on a smaller level but um to give you an idea back in the 1990s um wildlife um uh, experts in Minnesota found that a lot of frogs were being born with like one front leg okay. or in some cases three front that. legs and extra eyes, and really strange mutations. And it turned out that this is due to mutagens. You know, they were being literally altered. And um, this has also been suggested, uh, for example, like at least some strange creatures. Um, for example, it's been suggested that mutagens may have caused... Um, Sort of large eels, which can grow up to about 12 to 14 feet long, but to actually cause like a a form of what's called gigantism, um, where gigantism in people, you know, the upper level is around about eight feet, you know, and people of that tall really cannot get around too well, and and this is one of the theories for some lake monsters that they could have been affected by mutagens, which caused them to develop a form of gigantism. Um, which essentially would, you know, make them look like a monster. I mean, you know, it's g- giant eels can be extremely dangerous. And I said they can grow to about twelve to fourteen feet. But if you imagine sort of a, a mutagen altered giant eel of say forty feet long with a body <laughs> the size of a uh, like a an oil drum, that kind of thing, you probably yeah. wouldn't quibble that that's a monster. You know, if you saw that coming towards you.
3: That's so,
2: i think it's possible that some um strange creatures at least could be the results of mutagens and and which have developed in a very abnormal way and um and again it demonstrates you know how we are now starting to play a role if you like in the the future development of at least some animals you know and um and how they're be, being affected mm-hmm. as well, or in mm-hmm. some cases, how they're actually successfully adapting to it as well. So um, you know, there's a lot of interesting aspects when it comes to um, you know pollution and the mm-hmm. science surrounding it, and how it could actually, you know, in a in a very strange way, we're inadvertently creating our own monsters, so to speak. You hmm.
4: think about that.
0: I've uh, I've worked on one of the local coal-burning power plants uh, here in Kansas City. And in the surrounding areas uh, along the river, um, there's tons and tons of deer. And, you know, somebody talked about going down there hunting, and I was like, you know, I wouldn't go, I wouldn't <laughs> hunt down there at all because, <laughs> you know, what have these deer been ingesting all this time? Uh, not worth it, guys. It's very no, smart. You're,
2: you're right. I mean... <laughs> That's one of the important things that a lot of people very often forget, you know, is that um, if you've got areas where, you know, you've got um, chemicals and things like this and, you know, they're Mm -hmm. ingested by the animals and it's a particular animal that we eat as well, you know, it's kind of like similar to, you know, all the antibiotics and steroids and everything else that's Mm -hmm. put in meat today. You know, I mean... um, a lot of people just don't think about that,
3: you right? Know, but
2: it's but it but it is a, it is a fact, you know.
3: Mm-hmm. It's,
2: you know, the animals are filled with this and filled with that, and um, you know, you, you don't really know what the long term scenario is, you know, after over multiple right. generations, really.
4: Indeed, so. Hmm.
2: That's
4: pretty scary.
2: Yeah.
4: Um. You know, I'd like to uh, even. Talk a little bit about the Kraken. Um,
1: Thank you for asking.
4: <laughs> well, you know, it's one thing you see the different different Krakens on different uh, movies and different shows, yeah. and they they present them as so many different creatures. And um, can you talk a little bit about what uh, you know you think the Kraken is? And and uh... yeah.
2: Well, I hate to sort of, you know, destroy some sort of cherished. <laughs> no, <laughs> from,
4: from Clash of no, the. <laughs> no, no.
2: <laughs> yeah, sorry, I have to be the bad guy now. But, that's, uh,
1: that's okay, we can talk about <laughs> giant squids after this.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um. I, what I think with the Kraken is that what I think about a lot of so called mythological monsters, and that is, I don't think they were. Mythological. What I do think is a lot of these strange creatures um, that go back, you know, tales of them go back centuries, maybe, you know, eight, 900 years, maybe even longer than that. And over time, I think mythology and folklore has very much kind of changed them from what they really were to how, you know, they become recognized today now you know if you look at the the kraken in movies you know it's it's like this gigantic monstrous thing which you know i actually think the the kraken is but i mean you know hollywood does a good <coughs> excuse me does a good job of you know turning the the kraken into this gigantic thing that um you know, bringing up Godzilla again. You know, that would take on Godzilla. You know, with eight
3: and, arms, and it, yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah, and um, and it, you know, it, it was described as like the ultimate sort of gigantic sea monster. But if you look at some of the uh, the locations, for example, um, Scandinavia is where you know Sweden, Norway, Denmark, Finland. Um, You've got a lot of uh, reports of the kraken hundreds of years ago in those areas. Now, what's interesting is that there have also been sightings, but in latter days, of giant squid. And, I mean, giant squid can grow to, like, 50, 60 feet, you know, from tentacle to head, so to speak. So I think what's happened is that back centuries ago, when people saw what they thought, or what they called the kraken, what I think they were actually seeing were gigantic squid. And I mean, if you look at some of the bodies of giant squid that occasionally get uh, washed up, I mean, they are monsters, they're huge, they're gigantic yeah. animals. And, um, so, I think what's happened over the years and and what often happens just in life, you know, stories get exaggerated, mm-hmm. um, you know, like the fisherman who says he caught a six foot um, you know fish, and then 10 years later, oh, no, it was 12 feet long. (laughs) (laughs) uh, There's always kind of, you know, a tendency to exaggerate (laughs) it bigger rather than smaller. Mm
3: -hmm. And
2: so I think that's what happened. I think the sailors who were out, you know, fishing, because, you know, they are sort of, those areas are filled with fish. So I think the the fishermen who were out there probably did see uh, uh, giant squid, and there probably were far more than there are today and you know with a little bit of exaggeration and friend of a friend and somebody tells mm-hmm. somebody else and somebody tells somebody else
3: mm-hmm. i
2: think that's how the the legend of the kraken began but the important thing is in, and this is a perfect example but there are many other examples as well the important thing is that they are real animals or they were real animals that got blended into folklore. That's, that's basically what I think's happened.
0: Right. Started with the kernel of truth and, and.
2: Yes. Honesty
0: and
4: then, then blown out of the water. Definitely (laughs) see that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So So you see all the old paintings with the, with the, you know, the huge galleon ships with the, you know, the
3: I, yeah. Well, yeah, I've actually <laughs> got
2: a. I will have a lot of those in the uh, in the book. Um, the publisher, Visible Ink Press, they do a really good job of getting artwork, and they they've got I think like 120 sort of old, really cool um, paintings and artwork mm. artwork going back to sort of the
3: awesome.
2: 1500s. You know, with ships being pulled mm. down by these huge tentacles and. Um, you know, sort of a a sailor swallowed by a squid or whatever. And, um, you know, so they've got some cool, um, you know, some cool paintings and things like that to sort of, um, which are kind of like um, be representative of that era, you know. So um, as as the story of the chapters go from, you know, a thousand years ago to the present day, the the artwork kind of reflects the eras as well and the paintings and photographs.
0: Neat. Probably the uneducated sailors and, and their interpretations, undoubtedly.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, anyone who sees anything that's kind of weird, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. you, it, it's sort of difficult to sort of, you know, when you're looking at it amazed, you know, to try and take in every bit about what you saw mm-hmm. and what it was and how big was it and what were the color. And, you know, it's kind of like when people see a really bad car accident, you know, you, mu- you sometimes people just stand there and in shock, uh-huh. you know, and mm-hmm. um, you ask them a week later, it's all hazy because your mind sometimes, you know, blocks <laughs> things out, mm-hmm. if it's, you know, if it's like um, really kind of, you know, um, terrifying or whatever. Self-protection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also, you know, things that you're not used to and they suddenly come out of nowhere and then they're gone. You're so you're focusing so much on the amazement that you don't always get the data. So I think that, you know, that but that's not you know, it's not lying or anything or exaggerating no. as such. It's just it's just how the human brain can sometimes get sort of skewed if you like, uh, when unforeseen Strange things happen. So. Sure, and then it say.
0: starts to rationalize, try to mm-hmm. rationalize it so it can be understood. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So I just dropped a link talking about the migration of critters and giant cephalopods. Um, this past summer, researchers found the giant squid off the coast of Louisiana in the Gulf of mm. Mexico. Wow. I dropped the video uh, in the, and it's not a prank like the penguin thing. <laughs> yeah. It it really happened. You've got the footage.
4: Yeah, that that's always an argument, you know, when when people are arguing with me about certain things that they don't believe are real and and uh, even though there were so many witnesses and and for, you know, how many years? I mean, did um you know, people say that there was no such thing as the giant squid and now all of a sudden there's more and more sightings of really giant squids and, and then uh, it's like See, up. yeah exactly one of these mm-hmm. days it's going to happen one and of these then, days it's going to be the yep. Uh, bigfoot Yep. and then mm-hmm. who's going to be right now and <laughs> well, then
2: well funnily enough i actually have a chapter in the book on bigfoot and <laughs> you might think Just wait, why what? on earth <laughs> yes yeah. you swim? might think you might think <laughs> why on earth is there a chapter on bigfoot in a book called monsters of the deep <laughs> and one of the reasons why is a lot of people don't know or don't realize that there are actually a lot of reports of people seeing Bigfoot creatures swimming in lakes and rivers and diving for fish and things like that. And um, so I've included this chapter, kind of like a bit of the -the off-the-wall type chapter, but it demonstrates that, you know, everybody thinks Bigfoot is just this creature wandering around the woods, but there are actually, as I said, a lot of reports of people seeing them often um late at night sort of um splashing in the water and you know like a bear you know mm-hmm. when the same way bears you know sort of follow the the flow of the water and you know and grab the fish um and there's also a lot of reports showing people um bigfoot um sort of racing through the waters you know almost like an olympic swimmer and <laughs> so um so i've included that chapter of uh to demonstrate, you know, that uh, the, the lesser-known aspect of Bigfoot, that um, they actually spend a significant amount of time in the water.
3: Hmm.
4: Interesting. Neat. Yeah.
1: yeah. I'm really looking forward to
4: reading it. Yeah, me too. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah can we get the full contents of the book? I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I,
2: think I, I think I'd even have... Um, Trouble doing that. It, um, <laughs> it's actually like 150,000 words, and I think, oh, it's come on. I think it's 400 pages.
4: Um. We've got time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: but uh, Visible Ink Press, they, uh, well, you probably know, but um, all their books are kind of done in the same style. They're all 400 pages, mm-hmm. 150,000 words, and approximately 120 um, pictures or artwork mm-hmm. and um and that that's what they become sort of known for is putting out these kind of encyclopedic books uh, rather than just you know your average paperback or whatever but um but i mean they're good in the sense that i mean they give me sort of six months to do the book okay. and um which is you know a good amount of time for a for a book of that length and,
1: Oh, good. Yeah. Good. I, so, yeah, I, I was going to ask that. Where exactly? And we know the book comes out August fourth, twenty
3: twenty.
1: Paperback and Kindle formats, or the the EPUB format. And then, so where is it currently in process? I'm just thinking, will it drop early? I'm just saying.
2: <laughs> um. Well, I don't really have any sort of control over that. I mean, so occasionally my books have been put out um, earlier than planned, and. It, like a big break in story that's relevant to the book. But um the way the, the process goes, you know, I sort of my agent Lisa, um, who also runs Lisa Hagen books and she's going the one who um republished the Chupacabra book and the Nessie book. Um Lisa basically does the the contract work and all the legal stuff with the publishers and um that's why she gets her cut because i don't understand any of that kind of loyal
3: stuff <laughs> you know, whatever so, right.
2: <laughs> I let lisa does all that and then i put together like a synopsis idea for the book and the publisher likes it they'll ask me to do like two sample chapters and i'll do those send it off and if they hopefully say yes um and then I start writing the book. And um, that usually, as I said, depends on the length of the book. One of the Visible Ink Press books, that would take about five months. And then I hand it over to them. And um, and then when they go through it and edit it and see... And luckily, I, my books don't get edited that much. And, you know, they don't take chunks out of the books or anything like that. That's nice. Um, and from there it then the whole thing is turned into like a PDF with the artwork and they have a guy Kevin and he does all that he, he converts the Word document into a PDF and then inserts all the artwork and designs and fonts and all that and um, and that's actually where it is right now except the PDF design font etc etc um, so in theory it probably could come out a bit earlier but um the chances are it probably will come out on the, you know, on the, the planned time. Mm-hmm. Unless, yeah. of course, you know, a, a Nessie washes up on the shores of Loch Ness and then I'm sure they try and find a way to get it out, you know, within a week or yeah. something, mm-hmm. like <laughs> yeah,
3: that.
1: Yeah, I, I was going to say, I really love the cover to Monsters of the Deep with the oh, tentacles. Oh, you.
2: yeah. Did a good job, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So props to the artist who made that. Um, I do have another question for you from the audience, and that is, do you have any tips for someone who wanted to become this type of, say, reference writer that Visible Inc. Press
2: uh, publishes? Um, well, yes. <laughs> um, I think, you know, if you want to be a writer, um, there, there's several things to, to sort of be aware of. I mean, you know, unless you're sort of J.K. Rowling or Stephen King, you're mm-hmm. not You're not going to be a millionaire, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, um, You know, writing, I I love what I do. You know, when I finished school at at 17 in England, I wasn't really that good a student, um, to put it uh, tactfully. And um, (laughs) I just wasn't. I didn't go to college. I didn't go to university. I was one of these just, oh, I'm out of here, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, and just out of... um, I guess luck, um, fate, whatever you want to call it, but the, the little town that I lived in at the time when I was about 17, um, they were advertising. And they're putting together like a, a what's on kind of magazine uh, for teenagers, etc. And um, and it would have interviews with like local bands and. Um, you know who's coming into town and um you know what's on that kind of thing so like mm-hmm. a like a what's on magazine i did that for about 2 years and as i said it was just pure luck that i got that job but they taught me all the sort of tips of uh, you know journalistic approach etc how to f- structure articles and, and write and etc and um and i did that for a couple of years it, you know it, it sort of dropped off and um I did for about three years, um, I then did sort of part-time stuff um, doing writing, I had a regular job um, as a forklift driver in a warehouse, I did that for about four years, and then I'd come home and do a few hours on the, you know, on the writing, and um, and I was about 26 when I d- decided that, you know, I'm not going to spend the next 40 years working for some old guy, and i got to wear a suit and tie, which I hate. And, and um, <laughs> and so I said, I'm going to do something on my own terms. And I decided I wanted to be a writer. So, um, I put a few ideas together for publishers and, um, went from there really. And I got a book deal, a, th- a three book deal in with a, uh, Simon and Schuster, uh, for three books on UFOs, which is my, one of my other big interests. Um, but you know, you, in terms of um, writing, I mean, um, the, the most important thing, of course, is the story, you know, and um, you need to sort of, the first part, you know, the introduction, you really need to sort of grab the attention of the reader, you know, because the worst thing you can do is open a book and the first two pages, you know, make you yawn, you know, you yeah. have really, <laughs> to really yeah. kind of grab the reader and make it informative but make it enjoyable and readable. You know, as I said, I mean, you know, if you're talking about um, like a Bigfoot encounter, you know, if you've got all the data, don't just say, you know, the witness saw Bigfoot, you know, say something like the Bigfoot creature was seen and, you know, its huge crunching feet, you know, Mm -hmm. sort of pounding on the floor and there was a a full moon, you know, um, shone on the, the creature's, um, glowing red eyes you know that kind of thing <laughs> people like people mm-hmm. like to be kind of entertained and on the, the edge of the seat so so that's one of the most important things is that you could have all the data all the facts all the all the evidence but if it reads like you are reading the alphabet you know it, it can be the worst thing possible
3: mm-hmm. so
2: i always tell people you know um you got something to write about um have a go because I think everybody everybody I always always say that everybody has a a book at least one book in them Mm -hmm. you know and um, whatever the subject is Um, but of course one of the most important things if you're going to do kind of expedition road trip type uh, books that I do you really sort of need to get out there in the field and so Mm -hmm. you know if you you know if you people listening now I'm sure in every town or city or whatever, everybody knows of one story of like a weird mystery you know, sort of the <laughs> the ghostly woman of the old bridge or whatever, you know, that kind of thing or,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, Mothman was seen once, that kind of thing <laughs> you know, I would, I would sort of encourage people, well why don't you, you know, do a little story or do some research on it and then, you know, do a, a, an online article something like mm-hmm. that and mm-hmm. then you know, collect more information and maybe, you know, you'll have a a book put together and uh, and it's not like you know it's not like you're sort of figuring out how to go to the moon i mean it's just right. <laughs> it's just you know Sounds writing cool. your experiences doing it in an entertaining and informative fashion and perhaps most important of all if you've got a scoop you know on something that no one else has you know publishers like books like the kind i do but mm-hmm. they also you know it's it's a publisher's dream to have somebody come to them and say, "Hey, you know, I've got a body of a Bigfoot." That kind of thing, and they're like, Ooh. "Okay, keep this quiet. <laughs> this is going to be the biggest book in the century." You know, so <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: um, so scoops and um, something really new. Um, and as I said, you know, I didn't start as off as some grand writer. You know, I was a, a kid driving a forklift and then going home and doing about two hours of writing at night, trying to. Perfect a style, you know. Um, mm-hmm. It Sounds just like you were
4: disciplined, though. It sounds like well, you're really disciplined then.
2: Well, actually, I am. I tell, what I like to do, and again, this may be of interest to people who who like to write. You know, you can you can sort of overload yourself, where you get right, and that ends up with like writer's block, where you're so frazzled. So, what I like to do, I I generally work sort of nine to five. Monday to Friday in my office room um, I never work evenings and I never work weekends yeah you know, I, I like to sort of you know for me evenings and weekends to have a good time you know
3: um,
2: and um, so that's basically what I do and and I find that by working nine to five um, and having the weekend off, you know, having the evenings off, I don't get sort of frazzled and fried, which I probably would. Well, I know I would if yes. I was to do this like 24/7. I I couldn't do it. You know, mm-hmm. I I would right. have just you know monster overload or <laughs> whatever. <laughs> yes. um, but what I would say, I mean, everybody has you know different ways. I have some friends who, um, you know, like so, like they enjoy sort of working through the night. Um, but you know, I, I get up, have breakfast. Um, mess around on Facebook for half an hour or so and then do the work, have lunch, stop at 5. And and actually, at 5 o'clock, I put my laptop into sleep mode and I don't touch it again till uh, the next morning. And Friday afternoon, about 4 o'clock, when I stop that laptop goes into sleep mode, I don't touch that laptop till nine o'clock Monday morning then. <laughs> and um, <Wow>. I'm not
3: <laughs> That's great. to
2: check email or nothing, you know.
4: Oh, wow. <laughs>
2: yeah. So, um, well, I figure, you know, I mean, I know we live in sort of a high-paced world, but I figure that somebody emails me, you know, it's not the end of the world if I don't right. respond until the next morning, you know, because <laughs> there could be 20 emails. and Right. You
3: know. <laughs> yeah.
2: So, you know, I like to... Um, you know, I mean, a lot of what I do. You know, people think I live this kind of. Well, I guess I do live in kind of like a, a strange world, really. But I mean, you know, it's um, much of it isn't. I mean, sort of Friday mm-hmm. nights. You know, I take a girl, a girlfriend out. You know, for dinner. Saturday, um, I often go out with a bunch of friends uh, to see the local soccer playing. Um, soccer is one of my big things. So, you know, I I like to. Um, you know, just have regular time and uh, normal stuff as well as racing around for big hairy monsters and long neck monsters, you know. <laughs> right.
4: <laughs> you know, one thing I'd really like to know, um, you know, with all the controversial topics that you do write on, um, have you ever had some like really, I mean, kind of. Uh, terrifying close encounters i mean you know yourself i mean has has anything happened because of some of the things that you have written on um i think um, you know,
0: okay, like the black helicopters
4: yeah I mean, anything or you know kind of strange Yeah, you know, that's happened to you
1: has the man of, come after
3: you <laughs> <laughs>
2: um Well, I've had a few weird things over the, I mean, I'm not sort of one of these people who, you know, something goes wrong or something weird happens and, you know, I don't sort of shaking at the legs or nothing like that's not really, you know, I'm more sort of, um, gung-ho, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm more of a gung-ho approach to, to life rather than, you know, hiding behind the curtains or whatever. But I have actually had a few weird things over the years, um, like strange phone calls and not so much threatening calls but um i've had a few occasions i've had weird calls where people have basically um kind of demonstrated that they knew about stuff that i was working on that no one else did know and it was almost it was obviously done to intimidate me to kind of to, I guess to try and make me paranoid. Well, how did this person know what I was doing? You know, and um,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and you know they claim military backgrounds and that kind of stuff. And and that it probably was true because they genuinely did find out things that only me and Lisa, my agents, knew about. But somehow
3: wow.
2: these people did. And so, and there was a there's a few occasions um, like that. Um, I can't say you know I've never had sort of like a man in black push me up a wall with a gun or nothing like that. <laughs> you know, it's not um, it hasn't got to that point. But that's there good. have <laughs> been there <that's> have <laughs> been a few yeah. But there have been a few weird situations along those lines. But I would say one of the strangest things that I do get a lot of, and that's uh, a lot of synchronicities. And um, and I never avoid synchronicities because I think they're sort of an important part of life, even if we don't fully understand and if you know, any people listening who don't know what synchronicities are it's basically um, a term that means um, like, like a coincidence um, that, doesn't, that seems more than a coincidence in other words, you know, something happened to you and it seems so bizarre that there's no way this could have happened, mm-hmm. you know it's oh, too yeah. coincidental um, you know, I mean kind of the the sort of thing where you think about somebody you haven't thought of for three years and then they suddenly phone you 10 minutes later you know Mm -hmm. that's That's kind of like a synchronicity you know it's beyond being a normal coincidence and i i always follow synchronicities because i think you know they do kind of put you on a on a pathway you Mm -hmm. know and um and that's That's more sort of, I guess, like a paranormal aspect, which I also do quite a bit of that writing as well. And um, as I said, I think, you know, if you ignore synchronicities, well, you don't go down the path that you may have done. So that's why I always try and understand what the synchronicities are about and try and... Follow and um, and I have had some really weird stuff where you know I'm looking for information on a story and I just cannot find it or you know it's just not available or there's some problem and then you know the next day something really weird will happen and um, and somebody will put you know talking to me and um, then I realise you know this person can help me with this or that you know I I mean everybody has a weird coincidence now and again Mm
3: -hmm. but
2: and I find that. more of them as well, so, um, you know, there's a lot of people in these fields who just go for sort of the biological, animal-based stuff, you know, in cryptozoology and different things, but, you know, I have a a big interest in the paranormal as well, I've written quite a bit on things like the black-eyed children, and um, sort of ghostly animals, um, things like this. We
1: might have an upcoming uh, episode on that, I'll hit you up, Nick.
2: Oh, okay, cool. Well, I did a um, book um, a, a two years ago called *Paranormal Parasites*, which has um the Black Eyed Children on the cover, and it was basically a study of how, throughout history, there are a lot of stories of supernatural beings that kind of psychically feed on us. Things mm-hmm. like um the incubus and the succubus and things like that, and um um. And people feeling drained of energy by so-called like
0: um, <laughs> energy vampires, like so. vamp-
2: yeah, Energy mm-hmm. vampires, psychic vampires, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And uh, and I think that's possibly what the black-eyed children are. They're kind of like um like a psychic vampire almost. So so I actually, you know, cover a lot of areas that sort of border on like the occult as well. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, that's all right. a big interest of mine as well. So I, I try and keep stuff. You know, I might do a light monster book and then a Bigfoot book and then one on paranormal parasites, black-eyed kids, and then a conspiracy one, and then then another creature one. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I like to sort of mix it up a little bit.
0: Sure. Uh, June and I are kind of trying to get a uh, show together with stories of the boogeyman from around the world, and we're having some difficulty getting real-life stories, Um, you know, we can find different ones on the Internet and whatnot. What would you suggest might be a good avenue to go to to get uh, personal stories from people? Um,
2: Well, that's a good question. I mean, from my perspective, um, I actually get a lot of feedback. I mean, this is very different from the approach, you know, you've got your radio show. But when I'm, I'm on shows like yours, um, or I guess any show, you know, chances are that the next day, you know, there'll be two or three um, emails or Facebook messages, hey, someone, you know, somebody says, hey, you know, I heard you on the show last night and wanted to let you know that I saw something like that or I experienced something that you talked about on the show. I'll probably find, you know, there'll be four or five, six messages, you know, perhaps on Facebook tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. and. So I always respond to people, you know, I feel, you know, people, um, you know, are good enough to contact me and want to chat. You know, I feel it's important to, you know, to give something back as well. If they want want help or advice or, you know, they just want to chat, you know, I'm always happy to do that. And, um, and very often, you know, people will say, you know, if you'd like to use the story, um, feel free to. And sometimes, you know, they'll say, and this is my name, or other times, you know, they'll say could you just put it under an alias or just
3: leave an, mm-hmm.
2: a, a name out altogether? Right. Um, and it's always preferable to have names, but, I, I, you know, I would never push someone to, you know, share a story or push to use their name. Right.
3: Um
2: You know, because I think, you know, that's wrong to do that where they suddenly see their name pop up in a book, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so I guess, I, I guess really sometimes it, there's no sort of... Um, particular way of getting people I don't think for me Mm -hmm. they come to me rather than you know me sort of going out looking for people but it usually is as I said through radio shows like yours you know people listen and then people contact you um but 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 yeah I I don't really know why you're not getting that many um
3: well
0: one like a, a lady in South Africa, her aunt told a story that just terrified the whole family, and she was going to get with her aunt and um, you know put it into words. And I I told her it was up to her, however she wanted to do it, and we could you know uh, keep the names covered up or or anything. Yeah. But when she went to her aunt to t- and asked her to you know put it down, the aunt said no, I don't want to because that can bring the the attention of that entity back on her or the family or anything so mm. there's also that aspect I...
3: yeah
2: there is um, mm-hmm. yeah I mean actually I've come across a number of cases like that where people felt that just thinking about some of the more these the more supernatural creatures you're thinking about them or telling people about them they were worried that they, the the entity would come back
3: mm-hmm. you know
2: and um, and make it even worse for them, like poltergeist activity and just you know things in the house, etc. That that kind of thing. Um, but I think more than anything else, you know, it's sort of word of mouth and publicity, the mm-hmm. net. Um, that that's I can I guess I can only sort of speak with about it from my perspective, but it but it genuinely um, does come through, you know, people who just happen to be listening to something or they mm-hmm. see an online article and they think, wow, that's just like what I saw. That that's kind of how it works for me.
4: Okay. Thank you. you know well, we'll, hope we, we'll hope we see some maybe tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh Mystic Moon Cafe at gmail dot com. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with all the books that you've written, um, I haven't seen any on just, you know, I guess you'd say regular ghosts. Um, mm-hmm. Are there any plans on, you know, like paranormal investigations or, or regular ghosts? I was just kind of curious.
2: Mm. Well, it's funny you should say that because uh, I really haven't written anything hardly ever. Maybe a couple of things, but hardly ever um written anything on ghosts and and people often ask me that you know why haven't you written anything on ghosts and mm-hmm. um and the main reason is that I don't know why but it, it just doesn't really interest me like haunted houses and you know all this kind of poltergeist uh, well poltergeist uh, poltergeist stuff does actually interest me but sort of tales of ghosts and things like that um it, it just doesn't really sort of get me fired up and excited. I, I don't know why, you know. Um, I
3: strange creatures, <laughs> yeah, I mean,
2: strange creatures, supernatural creatures, um, but haunted houses and things like. I don't know. It's um, it's just something I can sort of take it or leave it. And um, I mean, one of the big ironies is that I actually um, wrote a chapter um, in one of my earlier books. Um, about a, a ghost, and um, and it actually involved uh, one of my, my old dogs, Charity, and uh, when she died, and had a lot of weird stuff um, in the the two or three days afterwards, and mm-hmm. um, and that that was sort of the first time I really got into the angle of like um, pet ghosts and animal ghosts, that kind of thing, um, which I, which I, interests me a lot, but for some reason I just can't get excited by. Haunted houses and night vision and all. I don't. I don't know. I understand, I
3: understand. I <laughs> understand. Right. <laughs>
2: but I guess you know, there's somebody like somebody's interested in Bigfoot. Somebody's interested in Area Fifty One. You know, we all have a, right. a pet
3: something
2: that subject,
4: gets your passion,
0: your passion your passion yeah, going. Yeah. what yeah. mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. um, Was I'm, I was trying to remember? Was it your your dad's um, experiences while he was uh, piloting that got you kind of interested in the uh, Um, UFOs?
3: Yeah.
2: Well, he actually wasn't a pilot. He was, um, I shall have to tell him that, that he was he uh, oh. <laughs> he was he was called a pilot on the radio. He'll like that. <laughs>
3: okay.
2: But um, he was actually a radar mechanic um, in oh. the British Royal Air Force, which is the equivalent wow. of the U.S. Air Force.
3: Okay. And
2: um, he was like one of the guys, if, if the radar equipment um, wasn't working properly, you if it was screwing up, they would get somebody like my dad in to to look at all the equipment and try and figure out what was going wrong with the radar and um this um and he was actually involved in three nights of um radar based ufo encounters back in 1952 oh, no. and um and he's still around now he's uh, he's pushing 90 now but um oh, no. you know he's still he still runs around like a like a madman and um, <laughs> you know insane. still remembers it all and um but yeah he was involved in September 1952 um during um um a NATO exercise in September 1952 where there were a number of um UFO encounters and um It was basically um, like a a demonstration to the Russians. Hey, we've got all this technology, all these battleships and planes. You know, if you plan anything, this is what we've got to hit back with. So it was like a big NATO operation. And um, and funnily enough, it was called Operation Mainbrace. And just about um, a month or so ago, the History Channel, on their Project Blue Book show, they actually turned that real story. In operation main brace they made that one of the episodes of um of project blue book and um but he was in as i said he was involved in three encounters where they tracked these uh, high flying fast moving objects um and they would sort of suddenly stop at heights of like 40,000 feet and just hover uh, and then shoot away at like 800 miles an hour which you know nobody was flying yeah,
3: no. <laughs> anything
2: like that back then mm-hmm. um and my dad actually um kept quiet about this i think he only told my mom about it um but other than that I, I didn't know about it till i was about 13 maybe something like that and um and that was one of the things that got me interested uh in all of this um you know not just because it was my dad but also because he was you know he was a trained radar mechanic in, in the in the military right. and um and as i said you know if you ask him about it today he tell it just as it was, which is that we tracked these weird things, they clearly weren't aircraft, and the the, the commanders um, in the base basically told everybody, you won't talk about this, and, and he didn't for a long time. And um, so, you know, it's sort of um, an intriguing story, and um, and one of the things that sort of got me involved in all this.
0: Neat, very, very neat.
1: So on the subject of UFOs, um, I think we would be remiss if I didn't bring up that Nick actually has another book coming out on October 1st about the Martians and evidence of life on the red planet. So uh, this is this is brand new. It just came across uh, while we were preparing the show. Um, could you tell us, can you share anything about this book besides published date?
2: Yeah, I actually can. It, it, it isn't out till October. But it's already on Amazon um, and it's just called the Martians and then it has the um, the subtitle um, which sort of basically describes what the book's about and um, if you if you go to the Amazon page you'll see there's like bullet points of all the different aspects of what's in the book and it, it basically looks at Mars as as a I won't say a dead world but um you know not too far away from that and it looks at the sort of the ancient structure type um, structures that have been seen on Mars you know Mm -hmm. everything from the face on Mars to what appears to be um, sort of ancient um, semi-destroyed pyramid type uh, constructions and some of the um, the photographs that have even come back from NASA which seem to show objects on mars that don't seem to be just naturally formed and um and so it looks at the, the- oh, excuse me the theories and the ideas um that mars could once have been a thriving world like ours you know maybe something happened um nuclear war or some sort of ma- huge disaster that um didn't necessarily wipe out you know um everything on Mars, but possibly, you know, I, I think there's good evidence that there is life on Mars. There's some actually really intriguing photographs um, which seem to show uh, like bushes and, and trees <coughs> and things like that. If you if you Google Banyan trees, B-A-N-Y-A-N, Banyan trees and Mars, um, you'll see these aerial photographs from NASA which look just like um Trees and bushes, uh, as if you're looking out of a window going in a plane going over Arizona or something, but NASA says oh, it's, wow. you know it's it's nothing to do it's just like um a trick of the light, but they mm-hmm. look kind of like alien trees that 's the only way I can describe it so and it and it got kind of draws also parallels between some of the like the face on Mars and these pyramid type structures. it parallels them with um you know the, the ancient Egypt here, you know, and um, and then it sort of uh, progresses into um, the potential connections between ancient Mars and ancient and ancient Earth. You know, was there some sort of interaction, and um, and could there even be, you know, sort of the last um, of the Martians? You know, could they be deep underground? You know, in tunnels, mm-hmm. caverns, just you know, trying to. Frantically hang on, you know. So, um, never know. So it, it covers like a lot the whole history of uh the, the Martian anomalies, if you like.
0: Neat, definitely have to check that one out.
2: And uh, yeah, that'll be um, as I said, uh, October, but uh-huh. first of October. But it, you know, it might come out a little bit <laughs> earlier than that.
1: So, <laughs> I've already got a pre order,
2: yeah. That, that one might. <laughs> Yeah, I think last time, the last book I did with them, it did come, um, which is uh, Red Wheel. Um, um, I think that came out a little bit earlier, so so maybe this one will
3: as well.
0: (laughs) Nice. (laughs) All right, now, a question that we get a lot, Mm -hmm. or, you know, it kind of came up when we did our werewolf uh, show the other day. Um, Dog Man. Is it a were-type animal, like a werewolf, or is it its own entity? What are your thoughts?
2: Hmm. Well, uh, I've written a lot about the, the dogman phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think a lot of people call it the dogman because they do anything they can to not use the W word. The W word being werewolf,
3: mm-hmm. you know, because
2: I think... You know, when people think of werewolves, they think of, like, Hollywood movies, you know, like Mm -hmm. American Werewolf in London and um, The Howling, you know, which are all good fun entertainment, but people think of werewolves. They think of somebody bursting out of their clothes at a full moon Mm -hmm. and turning into this monster that kills a bunch of kids in the woods, you know? Like... like
0: I hate when that happens.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, so these sort of... um, you know, sort of low-budget um, werewolf movies or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I do believe there is a genuine Dogman phenomenon. Now, when you look at the stories, you know, they, they do look like what you would call a werewolf. However, if you look at the reports, there actually aren't hardly any reports. I think maybe two or three, and those are kind of questionable. There's hardly any reports where... People have seen, or claim to have seen, a human turning into like a dogman, or a dogman turning into a human.
3: Mm-hmm. There's,
2: there's hardly anything like that. People just see them as these large wolf-like animals that have the ability to run and walk on back legs or on all four legs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I find that interesting. The idea of like a, a bipedal wolf, you know, that has the ability to run and walk on four limbs and two limbs. And, I mean, there are some animals do that. I mean, for example, bears will do that. You know, granted, mm-hmm. they won't do it for much time. But, you know, for the most part, a bear walks on four limbs. But, you know, they will stand up and look around and kind of walk a little bit on their back legs. Um, so, you know, I think I think it's a real phenomenon. But what also particularly intrigues me is the locations where they're often seen, like graveyards, cemeteries, uh, particularly in Wisconsin and places like that. They're seen around old ancient burial mounds.
3: Mm -hmm. Um, There's
2: a lot of reports Mm -hmm. in the UK as well, uh, where I grew up in, and um, they're often seen around old stone circles. Not around Stonehenge, I should stress, which is the most famous of all the...
3: Mm -hmm. ancient
2: stone circles in the UK, but there's actually hundreds of smaller ones. And the Dogman reports have been seen in those locations. So in other words, what I find interesting is the locations where these creatures are often seen, they're often like sacred ancient sites, Mm -hmm. whether it's like Stonehenge-type places. Or
0: an Indian Indian mound.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah the the, uh, the mounds and also places that are traditionally tied to the paranormal like old bridges and crossroads which often pop up in supernatural tales mm-hmm. so i think there's some sort, i think there's some kind of supernatural aspect to these um to these creatures that in some respects they're not uh, too dissimilar to the so-called skinwalker creatures you know which um again, have sort of a wolfish appearance and can walk mm-hmm. on four limbs and two. So I think I don't think we're dealing with an unknown animal in the same way that, you know, the gorilla was once an unknown animal until we found mm-hmm. them, you know, and That's were able true. to confirm what they were. Mm-hmm. So I don't think the skinwalker, uh, excuse me, I don't believe that the dogman is just an unknown animal. I think there's like a paranormal aspect to whatever they are and um you know what it is um i mean linda godfrey a good friend of mine she's written mm-hmm. i think six books about the uh,
3: dog she's wonderful. Now. And, yeah she's wonderful yeah love her. yeah
2: and uh, yeah linda's done some really good stuff you know she's mm-hmm. a really good writer and researcher and um she you know has sort of followed all the different theories you know the connections to native american law and legend um and the, the supernatural aspect, and also the idea of these things being sort of multi-dimensional things that can kind of flit in and out of our reality
3: mm-hmm. um,
2: from their realms. You know, I, th- I find, for me, that the dogman th- is, you know, it's re- it's relatively new in terms of visibility, about sort of 20 years you know, now, thereabouts. Um, but, you know, in, in sort of uh, some of the uh, cultures, Native American cultures and things like that, I mean, they've known of them for... Centuries. It's just that the term mm-hmm. "dogman" really, you know, was what caught people's eye, and why it's, you know, sure. it's really kind of took off in the last uh, decade or so.
0: Right, like the Beast of Bray Road and and that type yeah. of thing.
3: Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I'm still gonna put it out there, though. If anybody finds a litter of the of the little puppies, I will. I'm first in <laughs> line for adoption. <laughs> <laughs>
3: We might not say puppies. that when they get to, like, about seven feet tall
0: and thrashing around the room. Uh, <laughs> and they need, need raw meat. pounds German shepherds, so, yeah. <laughs> we, we feed them mailmen and other delivery-type people. <gasps> it's <horrible>. all good. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
3: God. <laughs> but,
0: um, well, Jake, what are you looking at there, bub?
1: Well, you know, because we were talking about Dogmen and everything. So, of course, I've got mm-hmm. all of Nick's books. So I pulled out my copy of Shapeshifters, Morphing Monsters, mm-hmm. and Changing Cryptids. Um, so the whole thing that I'm most interested in, and I know we're running short on time, is just when it comes to cryptids, it, and we're now in a monitoring heavy culture. You know, we have cameras everywhere and drones everywhere has the rate of incidents picked up more recently? Hence, that's what's spurring everyone. You know, there's a big interest in paranormal things now. And is it just because the visibility, because there's more eyewitness accounts? Or do you think, you were talking about synchronicities, is there just some kind of change coming?
2: Um, Well, that's a good question. I mean, what I would say is that there's no doubt that the interest in all of this Uh, has changed certainly within about the last 10, 15 years. I mean, certainly if you went back 20 years uh, and roughly, I would say, 15 years ago, maybe slightly less than that, um, you know, if you talked about UFOs or Bigfoot, you know, people would look at you as if, you know, you're just crazy. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Um, But today, I mean, paranormal TV, you know, magazines, books, um, podcasts, you know, you name it, um they're incredibly popular and but, but the important thing is it's not just popular it's actually seen as as quite acceptable to say you know what do you on week, do on weekends oh you know i go looking for bigfoot and people yeah. say oh that's cool that's interesting whereas before they'd say Okay, get away from me. Yeah,
0: exactly. (laughs) What's wrong with you?
2: It's like, you know, it's like, officer? (laughs) 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 But um, I was not quite like that. But certainly, (laughs) 15 years ago, thereabouts, it was just, you know, you get a life, you know, that kind of thing. But today, I mean, like, for example, you can find on mainstream media. Um, You know, New York Times a few years, a couple of years ago, ran, you know, that big story that exposed this UFO program in the U.S. government. I mean, that was, you know, major um, uh, media. So I think that's one of the important things about how and why this has become so popular, because it's become legitimized and there isn't this aurea give this aura of um eccentricity or whatever. It's just seen as, wow, this is cool, tell me what you saw, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And but also, you know, there's the visibility of um you know, anyone can um, you know, put out um a book or you know, um, a show, uh, put on a conference and, mm-hmm. um, and we've all got the ability to do this thanks to, to technology. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, that's, um, you know, that's an important aspect. I mean, you know, I, I wasn't around, you know, in the forties, fifties and sixties and whatever, but, um, but I, I do know, you know, the people who did UFO research then, it must have been really difficult. You know, they they get a sighting report and they had to sort of type a letter out and, you know, go to the post office and send it to the local UFO group and then they send a letter back to you thanking you and all this business, you know. It was difficult to
3: mm-hmm.
2: get the word out mm-hmm. and, you know, there was no sense of you know, immediate communication. And that has has helped a lot, you know, and, um, and, and I think you combine all that together, the legitimacy uh, that surrounds it all now, the interest, people aren't frightened or embarrassed to talk about, you know, what they're interested in, whether Bigfoot or whatever. Um, and, and there's so much visibility, you know, everywhere you look. So for me, that's a good thing, you know, um, but and I, I think you know also, um, you know technology. You know we've all got cell phones,
3: um, mm-hmm.
2: and you know there's a lot of interesting pictures have turned up. Um, maybe not as as many as people might think. You know every, we've all got a an iPhone, but very often, um, you know, people just forget you know they're so startled they say something they forget right. to take a picture that actually does happen you know mm-hmm. but, you know we've all got a phone but we're just standing there with your mouth wide open looking <laughs> at that big neck coming out the water <laughs>
3: yeah oh my <laughs> gosh I would like, be so oh my mad God, at myself. Get a yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I'd, be so I'd be mad like, at
4: myself if that happened
1: <laughs> someone get me a lasso and a saddle
4: <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> He says that sitting in his chair at home. Yes, <laughs>
1: guarded by three pit bulls. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
4: oh. Oh, wow. Well, um, well, thank you. Thank you for coming on again. It's yes, just been so much fun. And the time goes by way too fast.
2: That it does. Well, thanks guys. Thanks for having um, me on. I'm glad we're uh, we got over the uh the tech issue, whatever it is and
0: um <laughs> Oh sure. There's always a way around.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, well, thanks for having me on. I think you know we we covered a lot of ground, a lot of areas, and um... <laughs> we did. Mm-hmm. I
1: can't
4: wait for your books to come out. Yeah.
1: Oh. So let me do a quick <laughs> recap. So Nick's yes. n- book, Monsters of the Deep, arrives on August fourth from New Correct, Page yeah. Publishing. It's four hundred pages, over a hundred monster profiles. It'll be amazing. Uh, he also has the n- another book, The Martians, which arrives October first from I believe it's New Page. It's what I saw on Amazon. Uh, well,
2: um, it, it used to be New Page. Okay. But what happened is um, New Page um, joined up with another company called Red Wheel. Red. And Wheel. yeah, and Red Wheel basically now um, runs uh, New Page. Got it. Um, okay. But I actually have one more book. Just what? But what. That's what I, I absolutely cannot.
3: Talk oh. about it all. Oh, top oh. secret. But, oh. but I guess it's we right have going a to be very, hints. very controversial.
2: <laughs> okay, that one.
1: Perfect. That'll be fun. You can't even
2: like <laughs> uh, As soon as aliens? the words out, though, I'll, I'll let you know. So. Oh, oh, aliens, do.
1: conspiracies. <laughs> Famous people dying? I'm just like... <laughs> to...
4: okay. Give it up, Jake. Give okay. it up. I know I know, I know,
1: I know, I know. I know. He's sworn to secrecy. The Illuminati will come after him.
0: Okay. <laughs> well, Nick, how do other people get a hold of you um, if they're wanting to just chat or or uh, pick your brain on something?
2: Well, I have a blog, which um, I try and do uh, something on it once a day. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes I don't succeed in that. But... And, uh, mm-hmm. but um, my, the, blog's, uh, me, the blog's called World of Whatever. So if you just Google Nick Redfern World of Whatever blog, you'll, that'll take you to my blog.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, people can reach me at Twitter, which is Nick Redfern UFO, um, and just send me a Facebook message. And uh, as I said, you know, I'm always happy to chat with people. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not one of these kind of standoffish, egotistic Authors, which, I'm, and I can tell you, there are quite a few of them. Unfortunately, oh, yeah. uh-huh. but, we've
0: run um, into some of those too. Yeah, yeah <laughs>
2: But, but my view is that you know, if people take the time, you know, to to buy my books, you know, uh, I feel it's important to give them back something as well. You know, whether mm-hmm. it's hanging out at the bar at a conference and chatting with somebody for 15 minutes, you know, and it and it makes their day, kind of thing. You know, and sure. I think. And I like doing that, as you know, hanging out with everybody. I don't be one of these authors who just goes to his room after the conference. I mean, what what's the point, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> so so if anybody's ever got, you know, any questions or they want to share an experience or they might want someone who can explain the experience, you know, or, or how can they get into the subjects or whatever, you know, I'm always happy to, to take the time, you know, to talk to people and... Um, and you can make great friends that way as well. You know,
3: yeah, absolutely. People who That's just true.
2: contact you, you know, about this or that, six months later, you know, they're, they're one of your close friends or whatever. So
3: mm-hmm. Very true.
0: That happens a lot too, and I'm happy about yeah. that.
2: Yeah. And we do have That's Nick's a good con- social scene in all this as well, you
0: know. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Awesome.
2: Yeah. yeah. And I've
1: got Nick's contact information is on the Mystic Moon webpage for this uh, broadcast. Awesome.
0: Thank you, Jacob. Marvelous. All right. Okay. Well, I guess we're we're down to the time then. And Nick, once again, thank you so so much for yes. taking yay. the time
3: Thanks for having me on. Thank you.
0: That sure. Awesome. Sure. Thank you. And let's see, next week we have Ghost Tech Paranormal. And uh the following week I'm working on a couple angles and I'll let you know as soon as I know. <laughs>
4: awesome. Mm-hmm. June, what you got coming up? Oh, I'm just going to be staying at home. (laughs) (laughs) Looks like that's going to be about my life. Yeah, Yeah, everybody else's (laughs) life. So, uh, But, uh, yeah, just, uh, well, we have um, uh, spookedinseattle.com if you're interested. Um, uh, Ross Allison is going to be speaking Friday night about haunted toys. So please tune in for that. Look up at spookedinseattle.com. and check that out. That'll be fun, Jake.
1: Well, my life—I'm yeah, in the busy season uh, of the day job since I'm a pharmaceutical analyst. So I'll be doing a wonderful autoimmune cross correlational analysis. That's my <laughs> life for yeah. There's a and lot of math. Four times real I'm glad fast. I studied economics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: <thank> you. <laughs> well, you've also got your blogs though.
1: That- I do. Yep. 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 Mm-hmm. I haven't. Yeah, so yeah. Since the day job's been keeping me from publishing, but I did recently publish some stuff on uh, The Kraken on mm-hmm. my website, monstersontheweb.com. And then I put in my how to do an old school ghost hunt for, on my main blog, Ghostly Activities.
4: I read that. It was really good. I liked it.
1: <laughs> I put up the samples of what it actually sounds like to record. try to record That's EVPs awesome. on an RCA cassette recorder. <laughs> my, I have That's times fun.
4: changed. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> oh, thank goodness, that's no more. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right, Jake. What you, what music do we have taking us out tonight?
1: So, on theme, the track mm-hmm. is "Monsters" and the artist mm-hmm. is Shine Down because you know how much we love aggressive rock.
0: That's right. Yes. All right.
1: <laughs> so, with thank that, you,
0: everybody. Stay ab- home. Stay safe. Yes. Wash your hands.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah, yes. Wash your damn hands.
3: Yeah. Yes. Please. Off
1: into your elbow. <laughs> okay. All right, folks. With that, have a All good right. night.